don't have a handout today. I've had a handout the last couple of times, and I may have one next week, but this morning I, I didn't think it was necessary. I could have produced one, but I, I think that uh, the repetition of the background that we've received in the Word of God uh, has been adequate thus far. So uh, you perhaps remember the some of the points that have been made about God's covenants. We're back in the study of God's covenants, and today we're going to begin looking at the new covenant, and I'm planning to deal with the new covenant both this week and next week, and then perhaps the first week in October I'll be back. I might do it then as well. We'll see how far we get. But um, by now, you're very familiar with the fact that a covenant has as its heart both sworn promises. That's true of all of the covenants. It is true of the of the new covenant. And that's one of the points that the writer makes. We're going to turn to Hebrews 6 in a little bit, but not quite yet. Uh, Hebrews 6 is one of those places where the writer looks back to Abraham and how God swore by himself to Abraham and thus he confirmed his promise. Um, that, that This is also true. This is the writer's point in Hebrews 6. We'll see in a moment. Um, this is also true of the new covenant. This is the purpose of the new covenant, the old sworn promise of the new covenant uh, to overcome all reservations and doubts on the part of the people who benefit, the, the people who are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was true of God's swearing to Abraham is true of his swearing to us. And uh, you see this in Hebrews 6. You see it in Hebrews 8. We'll be in there uh, today, Hebrews chapter 8. Not right now, but uh, in Hebrews chapter 8, where the details of the new covenant are set out. One of the fullest passages about it. And you see it in Jesus' reference to this new covenant when he instituted the uh, Lord's Supper in Luke twenty-two twenty. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you. And again, one of the things that God does in his covenants is he deals with the whole matter of doubt. And if you look through the covenants with the uh Noahic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, you'll see evidences of, of this. There are many ways in which doubt trouble men regarding the salvation of their souls, and this is addressed in God's new covenant. Among the different things that I have said about covenants, the covenants are unilateral, God determines the covenant, God sets the terms of the covenant, God, as it were, configures the covenant to what he purposes to do. The covenants establish covenant communities, and that's true of the new covenant. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is his covenant community under the lordship of, the, of Jesus Christ. The main, main point today is that God's covenants are interrelated. I, I've said this for some time I don't mind repeating because again it's, it's easy to miss some of the some of the nuances some of the things we're trying to understand God's covenants are 
interrelated. And I said, uh, I think probably the first week, they are not identical, but they are interrelated. And this is the main point I want to underscore about the new covenant today. The new covenant is related to all of the previous covenants, but it's not identical with those covenants. And we'll see that as we come to the word of God uh, in a couple of moments here. Now, uh, the relationship between God's covenants and the new covenant is that all of the covenants point forward in one degree or another to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is prefigured, he is prophesied in the covenants, in the, in the uh, previous covenants. The covenant is all about the salvation that we receive through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible makes it abundantly clear, and I'm about, we're gonna get there in a moment here, brethren. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear that the new covenant is unique. I keep on saying this, it's related to the other covenants. It's not identical with the other covenants. And I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, I'm going to read verses 31 to 34, because this is where, this is one of the clearest Old Testament passages that speak about the new covenant. There are actually, there are actually four passages we could look at, and I'll, I'll give them to you, you can write them down, uh, if you like, Psalm 110. That's a very important text about the new covenant, where God swears to Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's about the new covenant. That didn't happen in the old covenant. That happened in the history of redemption when Jesus came to the earth. He died on behalf of his people and rose again. And God made oath-bound promise to him that he would be a priest forever. That's part of the new covenant. That's at the heart of the new covenant. And then we have Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And here you're going to see, we're going to see that the new covenant is unique. It is not the same thing as the previous covenants. Related, but not identical. So, here God makes his promises about the new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to, my New American Standard has not like, same thing, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them 
unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now here's the promise of the new covenant. That, that word new uh, is uh, a Hebrew word used about 57 times in the Old Testament. It's, the, it's that word kadash. It doesn't mean anything to you. It's just, uh, it's just a word, but it's a very significant word. It, is a, it, it speaks of a new instance of something. If you go online, and this is where our modern technology actually helps us a little bit with concepts. If you go online to Amazon and you're going to buy a computer, for example, you might see a nice computer and they say a lot of nice things about it. And then you notice it's refurbished. That means it was pre-owned. It was used. It didn't work right and it had to be fixed. And now they're trying to sell it to you, but it's not new, you see. When the writer says a new covenant, he's saying it's not the same thing as the former covenant. Isn't that obvious when we read the text? He's saying it's different. It's not the same covenant. It's not like the one that I made when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It's different. Well, that's what it. That's what this word "new" in in this text means. I'll give you an example, another example to help us uh, in in Exodus chapter one and verse eight. It said that after Joseph died, a new king arose who did not know Joseph. Now, why why do you call him a new king? Well, not that he was just born, but he's different from the prior kings. It was not the same king who knew. Joseph, it was a, a new king, a different king, you see. Also, uh, in uh, Joshua chapter 9 and verse 13, you had the incident of the Gibeonites, very instructive. The Gibeonites were living within the land. Uh, Israel was going and conquering, and the Gibeonites tried, well, they did, they deceived the people of Israel. They took worn-out bread, worn-out clothes, they had wineskins, and they said, these wineskins, we're, we, we're from a far country, Joshua says, how do we know that you're not living in the land? He said, look, these wineskins were new when we left our country. Was it, what does he mean they were new? They were just made. They're not, uh, they, they were just made, and they are new instances of wineskins, you say. Okay? So that's the way the, the word new is used here. It's not the same thing as the previous ones. It's new, it's unique. And this word is used again in two other passages where the new covenant is referred to in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and we're not going to take the time to go there right now, but you can look them up. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, and Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, when God says, I'm going to give you a new spirit. Okay, those are, those are texts about the, the, New covenant in the Old Testament. It's a new covenant, not like the previous covenant. It's related, but it's not identical. It's different, unique. Now, in the in the Hebrew, um, in the Hebrew, I told you about the Hebrew. The word "new" is used of the new covenant many times in the New Testament, several times in the New Testament, and um, it's it's the word uh, "kine." And uh, it's used in Hebrews 8, 
when it says that this, he's, there's a new covenant, he quotes Jeremiah 31 in Hebrews chapter 8 and in Luke 22 when Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, he uses the word kine. And this is also, this also means something that's new and distinct from something else before it. It's a, a new instance. It's not used. It's not repaired. It's not refurbished. It's not anything like that. We, th let, me, let me uh turn you to Matthew 27 for a moment. Matthew 27, 60. Because this is a very good illustration. When the Bible says God has made a kine diatheke, a new covenant, this word new is used in Matthew 26, 60, after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that uh, Joseph of Arimathea asks for the body of the Lord Jesus, and he takes it and wraps it in verse 60, and laid it in his own new tomb, which, had, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Well, what do you, you see what, what is being told us about this tomb? This tomb was not there before. This was a new tomb. Joseph of Arimathea probably hired people, but he had that tomb hewn out. So it was a new tomb. It wasn't an old tomb. It wasn't a pre-existing tomb. It was different. It was unique. It was new. See, that's the, that's what the word that's being used of the new covenant. Look back at Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. When our Lord Jesus Christ spoke to the Pharisees, they were just thinking that religion was going to roll on the same way it always had. And they thought, well, you're going to fast just like the Pharisees fast. We do all this fasting. We do all these things. And Jesus tells them, well, no, you can't do that in the new covenant. You can't do that now. Things are changing. There are new circumstances. And so in Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this. He's trying to clarify the new covenant is different. You don't operate the same way you used to operate. No man puts a new cloth into an old garment. For that which is put in to fill up taketh away from the garment, and the rent is made worse. You're familiar with that. If you ever try to patch a pair of jeans, and you have old pair of jeans that are stretched out, and you put a patch on it of new cloth, the new cloth shrinks and tears the old cloth. Right? Then he says this, neither do men put new wine into old bottles, old wineskins. And I know when we think of the word bottle, we're thinking of a piece of glass or a piece of cardboard that's waxed. But here he's talking about a piece of a goat skin, maybe the leg or the thigh of a goat that's been closed up and on both ends to hold the liquid. Neither do men put new wine into old wineskins, else the wineskins break and the wine runs out and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now, you have the word new here that describes both wine and wineskins. They're different words. 
The word new with reference to wine is young wine, neos. We get our word neonatal from it. You know, a neonatal, a, a, a newborn baby is put in the neonatal unit and is attended by neonatal nurses. Say that 10 times fast, neonatal, neonatal, oh boy, I won't forget it. You get the point. But that's the word for neo, it means young. And the wine he's talking about is young wine, which has not completely fermented. And he says, you put new wine into new wineskins. The, the, the wine is young in terms of age. Now, the wineskins are also young, but he doesn't use that word. He uses kine, the word for new in new covenant. And the word new means a different instance, something brand new. Different from the previous ones. You put new wine into new wine skins. Just made. Not the old ones. They burst. You see, the new one is a new one. A really new one. It hasn't existed before. It's unique in that sense. And the new covenant, you see, is not the old covenant. It's not. It's not the same. It's not identical. And this is a this is very, very important. There are those, there are actually many, who say that the new covenant is just the old covenant with a new administration. It's the new administration of a previous covenant. So they don't regard the new covenant as unique and different from the old covenant. You just change a couple of things around and you use the same old covenant. You call it new. It's kind of like the way they do with cars today. You know, they put a they put a new steering system in. And they say the car is new. It's, it's the same car, same chassis, etc., same engine, uh, but it's it's not really new, is it? The new covenant is indeed unique. It's not an administration of a previous covenant, as many assert, and that's what we learn in Jeremiah thirty-one. 31 to 34. If you look back at that passage again, I think it's very hard to interpret it any other way because God was very clear in declaring what he was going to do in the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. Notice, the whole days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant, chadash, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to, or as my translation has, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. He says, this is new. This is not according to or not like, it's not like that covenant made with Israel today when, he get, when they came out of Egypt. So now a question pops into your mind. Maybe you've already been thinking about it. I hope he tells us what makes the new covenant new? What makes it new? Why is it not like the old covenant that he made with Israel on the day he brought them out of the land of Egypt? So, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. 
that make the new covenant new. Actually, what we want to be sure to understand is not only is the covenant new, the covenant is better. It's new and it's better. Now, sometimes, you know, you get a product, and I, I probably I should have asked my wife about this because we run into this and I keep forgetting the details. You get a new product, but maybe, maybe you had a, a vacuum cleaner and you liked exactly the way it was set up and the way it runs, and they, and they improve it. <laughs> they did that actually with a car that I owned. I had a nice car. I loved it. And then they went and they changed it. And they improved it. Uh, to me, it was not an improvement. I didn't like the. I didn't like it. I wouldn't buy it. You say sometimes you get a product that's improved. And you say this is worse than the other one. No good. Well, the new covenant is new and better. Let's look um, in Hebrews chapter nine for a moment. There are a number of passages in Hebrews where the covenant is referred to. This is one of them. Hebrews 9.15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal, an eternal inheritance. So, what's new and better about the new covenant? The answer, the mediator. The mediator of the new covenant makes the covenant new and better. New and better. You see, Jesus was not the mediator of the Mosaic Covenant. Moses was the mediator. Jesus was not the mediator of the Abrahamic Covenant. Abraham was God's righteous servant. Noah was God's righteous servant. David was the mediator in one sense on the human side of his covenant. He administered it. But Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. That makes the covenant better. The old covenant couldn't actually deal with sins the way the new covenant does because Jesus' death makes forgiveness to all of the elect in all the ages effective. The old covenant did not really secure True, full forgiveness of sins. That's what the writer says in Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. I won't turn there for time's sake, but you remember. He says that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It didn't, it didn't accomplish that. It made them, it protected them from the judgment of God breaking out against them when they worshiped. But it did not secure forgiveness of sins the way Jesus' blood does. That makes the new covenant better. It makes it new. It has a new mediator. It has the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing that makes the new covenant new and better 
is the community. The constitution of the community, I keep on saying this, that covenants make covenant communities. You have the mediator, you have the righteous servant, and the promises made to that person and to all of the people who are in some sense related to that one. It creates a community. When Noah went into the ark, his family, he obtained promises that are still accruing to us his descendants. Abraham's descendants were the beneficiaries of the Abrahamic covenant, etc. Covenant communities. So, the, the new covenant community, the new covenant is new and better because of the covenant community that is created by the new covenant. In the old covenant, who made up the covenant community? Who made up that covenant? Well, the children of Abraham is who made it up. The people that God brought out of Egypt. And Jeremiah 31, 31 says, it's not like that covenant. It's not like that covenant in the community. Now, the children of Abraham were the covenant community of the old covenant. Uh, there were exceptions. People like uh, Rahab the harlot. Okay, She is incorporated into the old covenant community, but that's rather rare that there are people outside of the children of Abraham who were beneficiaries of the old covenant. Now, you might think, based on Jeremiah 31, 31, and other Old Testament promises, that, they, that the covenant community in the new covenant is the same as the covenant community in the old covenant. That's un, it's understandable to think that way, but it's not true. Simply not true. So, how do we know that the covenant community created by the new covenant is different from the covenant community of the old covenant? Well, again, the old covenant is a covenant made with the children of Israel. Gentiles were rarely let in as an exception. And if you remember your new... You remember your book of Acts? Of course you do. You remember that when Paul went and preached and the, and the Jews were hardened and he said, okay, you're unworthy. You consider yourselves unworthy. Now I go to the Gentiles. And you remember the reaction of the Gentiles? It was great celebration and rejoicing. They said, wow, we're getting in. We're part, and it was a big controversy in the early church all the way up to Acts chapter 15. The question was, do we have to make these people Jews? Do we have to circumcise them? Do they have to keep the law of Moses? The old covenant ceremonial laws. Do we have to do that? And the news was, no. No. And in fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 makes this point very clearly. Ephesians chapter 2. And after we read Ephesians 2, I'm going to start summarizing the rest of the material and we'll have to come back to it. Here we are. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. Who's there? Jews and Gentiles. 
And he's especially addressing the Gentiles now when he says in verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So you see, you were unconverted people and you were excluded. You're not part of God's covenant community. You were strangers to the covenants of the promise. But in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, are made not by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and broken down the middle world of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, and so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having put to death the enmity thereby, etc., so you see what he's saying is, you are not part of the covenant community. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the new covenant, you are. You, you get into the new covenant community. You're part of that community. It's now Jews and Gentiles. So this is one of the superior things. This makes the new covenant both new and better. Well... Yeah, I can go a little bit further. And this is really the last thing that's new. There are three things new about the new covenant. The mediator is new. The covenant community is new. And the promises make the new covenant new. The promises make the new covenant new. And when you talk about the promises, here's, here's the... Uh, as one of my friends would say, the cash value. Uh, the promises are at the heart of the covenant, right? That the oath sworn promise. That's why I said covenant the covenant. And the promises are better promises. They're superior promises. Just look at Hebrews 8.6. Just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ as the great high priest of the new covenant. But now he hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been established on better promises. Now you see that? More excellent, better promises, a better ministry, better promises. Now that's not the same. You understand that? When you got something better, you don't have the same thing you had before. It's got to be better. God does for his covenant people better things than he had done for the people of Israel. And uh, you say, what? Uh, just like you say, what, what makes the new covenant new? These things that make it new. And what are the better promises? Number one, the law written on the heart. That's what God promises. We'll come to that next week. We'll look at it in more detail. He makes the law written on the heart. And he gives them 
as a community, a genuine relationship with the triune God. Now, some of the people under the old covenant were saved. They were regenerated. They had all the blessings. But the nation as a whole did not. They did not all know God. They did not all have a genuine relationship with God. But in the new covenant, they do. They do. And these are some of the promises of the new covenant. One last thing, and I'll be done for the morning. We should think about what a privilege it is. We should be like those Gentiles that Paul preached to in the book of Acts, you know? Who went into the synagogue and they sat there and they were not part of the synagogue community. They were not Jews. But when they were told, you know what? You are now included. You believe in Jesus? You're, you're saved by the blood of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You're part of the new covenant community. And they rejoiced greatly. And so should we. We're Gentiles, brethren. Most of us are Gentiles. There might be some Jewish blood in here somewhere. I know it's uh, my home church. There are a number of Jewish Christians. But the rest of us are in the covenant because the covenant is new and better. And it includes us. And the Lord Jesus said, Many kings and righteous men desired to see the things that you see and did not see them. And we see them, and we feel them, and we know them. And so we are greatly privileged to be living under the terms of the new covenant by the grace of God. Let's give thanks. We do bow before you this day, our Father. When we consider these things, things like the forgiveness of our sins, we know that they could not have been forgiven. No matter how hard we tried, no matter how many sacrifices we brought, we could not be forgiven. But you, our Lord Jesus, have laid down your life under the terms of the new covenant that we might be forgiven all of our sins. For this we give you thanks and praise. We pray you would help us to have a, a humble and grateful heart for all you have done for us. Receive our thanks. Continue to bless us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.